Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Ho! 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 Yeah. Recording right. here on a, on a Tuesday. We normally don't record on a, on Tuesday nights, so I'm a little, uh, little thrown off here. Yeah. Yeah, we're normally a Monday gang. Monday gang. We like to kick off the work week strong with our, our real job, the podcast. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, we uh we got a fun one. <coughs> oh my god. You good? You good there? <laughs> Just hairball from stray still, I guess. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um we got a fun one today, but just a couple of topics we want to bring up really quick. Because there was like a lot that came out the past two days news wise. Yeah. And we don't have a topical episode scheduled for well. We're recording this on the 23rd of August. This episode's releasing on, I think... Actually, I don't even know this episode's releasing, so I'm not even going to... This would be in two-ish weeks. Oh, it could it could be actually later. It um, could be early. We might do top of the next week. Who knows? Who's to say? We're yeah, not we bound by anything. This is... <laughs> whatever. Anyways, there's there was some interesting stuff that happened this week that we want to talk about right now. Um, one of them being... <laughs> I just find this so funny... Sony is being sued for five, over $5 billion in PlayStation Store prices. Excuse me. Insane. $5 billion. Oh shit, is that pounds or euros? I think that's pounds. Uh, euro symbol. <laughs> you just got to do the quick Googles real quick to figure out. Yeah, I actually didn't know. It's funny that. Oh, it's euros. I, it is euros. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know how much. It's, it's, uh, isn't the euro and the dollar pretty similar right now? In terms of, like I value. mean, somewhat similar, but I mean, <laughs> when it's over five billion dollars, there's some discrepancy. Um, so it's five billion euro. I think it's euros, or it's. I'm pretty sure it's euros, and then which translates to five point nine billion dollars. Um, and this is over the online PlayStation Store prices, with the plaintiff claiming Sony is overcharging consumers and abusing its position as the primary seller of PlayStation games. So basically, they are accusing Sony of just marking up their digital content way more than it needs to be. I mean, it's digital content, right? The only space it's taking up is on a remote server where it just duplicates and pops out the same file over and over, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they're claiming that Sony is charging as much as a 30% commission, meaning that these games have to be charged that much higher because the developers need to make their money back. So they have to charge it that 30% higher to make up for that 30% of that. Sony is basically taking off the top. Um, it's kind of interesting because I've heard a lot of issues with this, uh, with actually the Apple app store where Apple just really abuses like every app that's in their store and really takes a lot off the top. Um, God, it wasn't with, only fans that I heard this. I think it was Fan House. It's like Is a, that another OnlyFans like. I think it's like um, not like strictly. I, I I think it can be used for that, but I think it's also more like like a, a whole, Patreon. More like a Patreon, yeah. More I guess potential to be wholesome than OnlyFans probably is. Um, and I remember I saw on Twitter there. I think um, I might be getting these names wrong. Um, the owner of that company, CEO, or I saw like in news articles somewhere, the owner, uh, Jasmine, was just like destroying Apple and just going in on how unfair their business prices were um, and their or business practices were rather, excuse me. So it's interesting to see that same sentiment uh, 
carry over into video games. And especially if it is 30%, because I mean, let's be honest Mm. for like a digital copy of a game. And the fact that a digital copy of a game is the same as a hard copy of a game is kind of interesting. That said though, when I actually, I'm thinking about it, like the plastic used to put (laughs) case, those games and, the um, distribution like transportation oh costs. there's the distribution and transportation but like the hard overhead of the like those games themselves is probably like five dollars like for those discs and um you know the plastic and everything probably less than that so i guess the 30 percent oh 30 well, percent is crazy no matter what well yeah i mean the thing is like there should be a giant advantage towards towards digital downloads for gaming, you know? And this is something that like Steam figured out a really long time ago is like, because the distribution is so quick and easy and international and all that good stuff, it just sort of creates an ecosystem where you could have good sales, where you can get people to download large libraries, which is like the ongoing joke about Steam libraries being so big all the time is because so many sales come up. But it is disappointing to know that like a Sony has really not tapped into what like Steam has been doing for so long, you know, what Valve has been doing for so long. And, you know, seriously, like those physical like copies of games like, you know, yeah, like the packaging can might might be like five bucks or so. And um, but there's transportation distribution. There's actually localization. That's really tough when it comes to physical copies of stuff. If any changes ever need to get made, um, you know, you have to often deal with like, we call it in America the ESRB, but um, you know ratings for a game to be like teen, mature, whatever that changes sometimes in the middle of like shipping, physically shipping a game. Yeah, that increases costs. I mean, it's a whole headache. Uh, so you know we're avoiding all that now with digital sales. Yet uh, all those costs are not seen by the consumer. I'd like to also state I was incorrect. It is five billion pounds, not euros. I okay. am a silly, silly boy because there is definitely a discrepancy there. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, um, I mean, h- how do these things normally shake out? I like, you know, do do we, if we bought a game on like that platform, do we like get any sort of uh, like anything back? Is this like class action? I mean, are, are they just going to be, h- how are they really held responsible for something like this? That's a great question. I don't know, to be honest, you know, I kind of wonder if maybe in like (laughs) five years, whenever this finally settles, I'm going to get an email like I did for having internet blizzard for like three months. Cause apparently that was during the time of all the uh, very bad stuff that happened there. I'm not trying to discredit that, but um, thankfully I wasn't affected by any of it. So I didn't have to worry about trying to claim anything. But I'd be curious if, you know, every PlayStation owner, PlayStation Star owner and Fiber, however long this takes years, um, eventually finds themselves getting, yeah, uh, yeah, getting um, maybe a little money back, like oh, yeah. 10, 15 bucks, you know. A <laughs> uh, couple things I just wanted to touch on real quick. Um, I know this isn't the topical episode, so we're, we'll get into it, but uh, just two things I saw uh, this past week that I thought were pretty cool. Um, well, one's cool, one's kind of eh. But um, shout out to Mickey for breaking this news to us. Hot Mickey. Uh, Twitch uh, just sent out an email today to their partners saying that uh, they will now allow them to stream on other platforms like YouTube and Facebook Live, which uh, Twitch has put limits on, strict limits on in the past. Um, You know, this article actually comes from The Verge. Um, In an email, Twitch recognized that streamers use multiple platforms to connect with their communities and said this move would grant them greater flexibility to grow those audiences off platform. Content creators can now go live on other platforms as long as they're also not 
also live on Twitch. This allows them to reach a greater breadth of people and potentially bring them to watch on Twitch. So it's not like you can simulcast to Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch all at the same time. Twitch, for their partners, is still sort of putting limitations on that. Um, mobile streaming, such as TikTok and Instagram Lives, are still allowed as well. Um, I think it's kind of a weird move by Twitch because they don't, without the simulcasting thing, I mean, they're literally willing to give up viewership of their partners onto other platforms. Yeah. But I guess they feel it's worth it. I don't really see the benefit of them, to be honest, like from a business standpoint. I have a feeling they're more so doing it just to, you know. Good faith. Good faith and kind of appease the masses. But I mean, if you're a partner and a lot of these like big partners too, that probably really, I don't even know who's going to like benefit the most from it, but a lot of these really big partners, you know, they're probably already making like 60% splits or whatever, you know, like they have special deals. Like Ninja makes more, like the partner status of Ninja, he makes more per sub than the, like the brand new partner that just got it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my mind, it's very reasonable, especially for, you know, people in that situation. It's very reasonable for Twitch to say you can only um, stream on our service. You know, it's like, you know, it, fucking, it's like the EPL, the, the English Premier League for soccer. They have a thing with NBC Sports where you can only stream on like NBC Associated Networks or like you know peacock their streaming service or nbc sports whatever yeah they're you're it's not a regular see, business practice yeah you're not gonna see them all of a sudden be like oh, I, I guess you can go stream on espn it's fine it's cool it's cool yeah yeah that's that's where their money is you know? yeah so. and i i I'm, that's like a very intense example obviously but it's the sentiment it's the same sentiment yeah yeah i guess uh this is this is a good guy twitch kind of moment to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, I'm a fan of the move. I'm a fan of this. Uh, I just, yeah, I think I'm with you there. I'm a little confused on like the business standpoint here. I mean, they're just going to literally lose viewers if like popular partners just end up streaming on like YouTube and Facebook. And I just don't see like, I suppose they link back to Twitch. Like if they're on like Facebook live, (laughs) whoever's on Facebook gaming or YouTube or whatever, um, you know, if they're pushing those viewers somehow back to Twitch or saying like, Hey, I'll be live on Twitch on Friday, join me there on Friday. I just don't see this working out for Twitch in terms of viewers, but Hey, they probably ran some numbers and they, they figured that out. Um, the other thing I just wanted to touch on, I saw this, uh, earlier today, um, as a news alert, uh, Sonic frontiers has a release date of November 8th. <laughs> do you know about this game, Matt? I do not know. <laughs> it's the new Sonic open world game that everybody's really been shitting on. Open world Sonic though? It's like open world, honestly, like I I saw like some gameplay of it and it does like kind of seem cool. I think it's a little late for it and I, it doesn't look like it has like a really big, super robust open world. It looks beautiful. It, it does, it does look really cool. It does look really cool, but it looks largely sort of empty is the criticism that a lot of fans have about this. Give it um, five years. No Man's Sky had the same problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always feel like Sonic has always kind of been somehow slow uh, when it comes to like moving <laughs> to like a cool next generation thing. I mean, there should have been a Sonic open world game, you know, years and years ago. 
um, that could have been evolved and evolved, iterated on by now. But anyway, Sonic Frontiers coming out November 8th. We'll see how that goes. Um, I have a feeling, just a feeling, I'm immortalizing it now in recording, that the Sonic fans will not like this game. I'm just going to say it now. I have a feeling it's going to be a pretty fun game, but I just have a feeling that Sonic boys will not like this one. Yeah, I think I bet a casual enjoy it, but like a, a diehard, you know, like a diehard fan. Yeah. It's probably not going to be different. too big of a fan, but yeah. you gotta, the thing is, guy, it can't all be hits, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, can't all, it can't all be hits at the end of the day. But uh, what we are going to be talking about... In terms of hits, greatest hits. Pretty... Well, eight, actually. Pretty big boss fight hits. That's right. Um, That's right. Matt, what are we talking about today? Everyone, today we are bringing back our Mount Rushmore series, and we are talking about mine and Lucas's Mount Rushmore of boss fights. Um, I don't know about you, Lucas, but for me at least, these are not going to be in any particular order, just my top four in general, and we can kind of get right into it. Uh, Lucas, you want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll kick us off. Um, You know, again, not in any particular order, but um, these are just four boss fights that I really, really love. And and hey, shout out to Hylet in the Discord for actually kind of giving us an idea. Um, I'm not sure, Hylet, if if Hylet gave us the exact example of Mount Rushmore, Rushmore of boss fights, but just expanding the Mount Rushmore TFP universe as a whole. Um, and we thought boss fights would be super fun. I mean, everybody has a favorite boss fight, I think. Boss fights are just a staple in video games. And one of my favorites here, I'm going to come in really hard, is the final boss of Final Fantasy VI, Kefka. All right. Uh, opening line. And are, Lucas, uh, are we going to be putting in any music in post here? What's the plan? You know what? Yeah, let's go ahead and kick in the music. Okay. okay. All right. Um, so Kefka is a incredible villain from Final Fantasy VI. For those of you that never played it, spoilers coming ahead. Uh, the setting, I, I'm not sure if you know the setting for Final Fantasy VI, Matt, but it's sort of like a... Real quick fun fact, I've never played a Final Fantasy game. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. We, we knew that. Um, the setting for Final Fantasy VI is like steampunk, like magic punk. It's basically like the turn of the century is happening, so picture like early 1900s industrialization, and all the magic in the world has been sealed away, or all the magic beings of the world no longer live in like the human world. And the evil empire begins to like basically kidnap the magic beings in that world, which are called espers and exploiting them to like expand the empire, um, you know, make technology even stronger, uh, combine magic and tech and call it like magitech. So there's like, there's this really, there's really cool, like political things. I going love on that term. Like, it's a really cool setting. It's a really, really cool. And Kefka is sort of like a lowly advisor to the king who gets a hold of way too much power. So he slowly becomes like the main villain over time. And uh, the super cool thing is Final Fantasy VI, the whole world is actually destroyed in like the f- like about 70% of the way through the game. So in Final Fantasy VI, the bad guy completely wins. Like Kefka gets a hold of like these godlike powers, destroys the world. You, you get separated from all of your friends and your entire party. And Kefka, you wake up like two years later in a coma from a coma, basically. Jesus and Kefka, Kefka like rules the whole world. He like lives in an ivory tower. He like destroys anyone who does not worship him and he just has all of the magic power in the world. So for like the last portion of this game, you have to like explore this destroyed world and find all of your friends who are like barely surviving in like various disparate towns. Um, but you regain all of your friends and you you get powerful enough to like fight Kefka in his tower in like a 12 versus one boss fight, basically. Or like 16 versus one, because there's like 16 characters in the game and you have a party of four 
in Final Fantasy VI. So you establish four parties of four and you fight four phases of Kefka. So it's like super epic. Um, he's like basically a massive like conglomerate of like demons and angels in his artwork. Um, and he's like this massive angel. It's like a probably like a 20, 30 minute boss fight with like really epic music. And um, the cool thing too is he's like tuned very well. Like if you play the game like at a normal pace, he's actually a pretty straightforward boss. He's not super challenging. Um, if you got a couple of key items, he actually can be fairly simple. Uh, but yeah, it scales he's, fairly. He's, yeah, it scales well. It's he's tuned. He's tuned correctly is the way I'd phrase it. Um, yeah, he's a badass fight. He's like, you know, the cliche with like Final Fantasy stuff is like you always kill God at the end of the games. And like <laughs> this one does not disappoint on that cliche at all. Love it. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I was almost going to download a Final Fantasy. I was I started downloading the Final Fantasy seven remake and then I. Oh, nice. I backtracked and I, I downloaded Infamous Second Son instead. But the uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake is definitely in um, the backlog as well. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll jump into my first one. So this is one that is near and dear in my heart. Um, I'm going to go with Sephiroth boss battle, an optional boss battle, mind you, from Kingdom Hearts 2. Q nice. one winged angel. Oh, that music is so sick. Um, so this game, so Kingdom Hearts 2 is probably my, yeah, probably my most played PlayStation 2 game of all time. And I'm, I'm just going to count the remakes as well because it is a game for that came out in the PlayStation 2 originally. But I must have played through Kingdom Hearts 2 at least in my like teen adolescence. When it came out like through high school, I must have played through it at least on 10 separate occasions. I just, I love this game. I adored the series. I, I've always adored everything about it. If you listen to our Kingdom Hearts episode podcasts, uh, podcast episodes, you know that. But something that always eluded me in Kingdom Hearts 2 uh, as a young lad was the Sephiroth boss battle. Um, and now this boss battle, it's not as grand or epic per se with the consequences as the Final Fantasy when you just mentioned is Lucas, but it's just so intense. I mean, you show up to Sephiroth. He's like, hmm, nice keyblade. <laughs> I um, wonder if it'll um, choose me instead once I uh, defeat you. And then you enter this crazy, crazy boss battle where literally starts off with a reaction command that you have no idea. Like you're not going to naturally react to that unless you know it's there. Yeah. And it literally takes out your whole health instantly and leaves you with just like basically a last hit, last hit situation. So unless you're literally like a demigod, you're not going to beat this boss first time. And it's just going to absolutely whoop you and leave you feeling like a fucking idiot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm watching the fight right now, by the way, because uh, you did link you did link it. and I'm just mesmerized by all the lights and pretty colors. It's so, it's pretty so cool. intense. <laughs> and there's so many like sequences to memorizing, especially you know, it's not as jarring now looking at it as a 26 year old man, but you know, as like an 11, 12 year old boy, this was just like the apex of gaming for me. Um, and it's also the first boss battle that I really remember truly grinding for. No, and no less, it's an optional boss battle. Nothing about this boss battle is required. Yeah, I, to, I did not play this mm -hmm. in my playthrough. Nothing about this is required to beat Kingdom Hearts 2, but I remember I genuinely spent hours just grinding away on enemies to get to like level 80 or something in Kingdom Hearts. 
And for context, I'm pretty sure you can beat the game around like level 45, 50. So I just spent <laughs> so long grinding to get to this high le- highest level I possibly could so I could finally beat Sephiroth. Spending like hours making sure I knew just how to like time everything, knew the exact patterns to run into, avoid his attacks, all that good stuff. And then finally, I did it. And you get rewarded with a really cool cutscene at the end of it where, of course, everyone's favorite guy, Cloud. And context as well. I mean, I have no idea what Final Fantasy is. So I'm just like, I'm <laughs> yeah. like watching You're this. Like, like, these are cool guys. <laughs> I'm watching this like, these, these should make a game about these guys. <laughs> like, like, I have no idea their what own, Their own like critically acclaimed game, like that generation, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you get rewarded with a really cool cutscene with some actually pretty surprisingly decent choreography in it with Cloud and Sephiroth and then with Tifa showing up as well. And it's just, it's everything I could have asked for like my first really just like really true boss battle that I really just dug in and just like, I'm going to fucking do this how many times it takes. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. Love that. I'm seeing even like I'm, I'm watching the boss fight right now and it looks like Sephiroth gets to really low health and he, cast like a meteor ability yeah, like all those meteors yeah. Come out. that's cool because like in final fantasy 7 like that's like a spell meteor is actually like the name of a spell and like a meteor the meteor that's crashing into earth is like a big plot point inside of sephiroth's game so yeah and then he kind of has sick. like a desperation mode where i think he becomes just like sort of intangible for a bit too it's just just awesome so much fun yeah yeah and cloud showing up that's that's just that's just sick yeah <laughs> awesome. Okay. Great boss fight. Great mount. Great, great start to your Mount Rushmore for sure. Uh, I'm going to go with my second pick here is going to be uh, Undyne from Undertale. Uh, Und- Undertale, for those of you that have never played it before, there's going to be some Undertale spoilers right now. We did do an episode on Undertale, which you should all check out. It's actually a really great episode we did with producer Sam. And uh, this is the only boss fight that's actually ever made me tear up straight up. Like out of sadness like out of like this like crazy weird feeling that you have when you play this boss fight and when you play this boss fight for like the the second or third time um so the little bits uh, so for those of you that haven't really played much on until just quick context here is you know you're you're playing through like a, a small world and you're going through this like underground sort of town where all these monsters live or underground like sort of what would you even call it world just I guess where like monsters world. live, yeah. underground world, and uh, Undying is like a knight that lives in this world. She is just a really powerful knight that like serves the king, and she really wants to basically kill you. And she's really built up over a long period of time during like the first half of the game, and you finally fight her, and she has really cool boss fighting mechanics uh, within the context of Undertale. And I love like these little bits of text that are actually going on. Undertale is a turn-based RPG. Uh, similar to like a Final Fantasy VI, except, you know, a lot more active combat system, I suppose. And uh, in between all of your turns, there's like little texts where Undying will actually talk to you and say things like, what the hell are humans made out of? Or there'll be like narration sort of text over the f- boss fight, like Undying suplexes a boulder just because she can. <laughs> or it'll say like, what the water rushes around you or pollen, flower pollen drifts in front of you. And it'll sort of be like these epic because the the graphic style of Undertale is really minimal, yet like there's these text descriptions of like what you're doing that are like really hitting, like really cool to actually have as like a way to set the boss fight rather than like visually show what's going on. They're actually like just kind of giving you text to, to read and like feel the fight in that sort of way, which I think is really cool. And 
Undertale is a game where your the trick is that you're kind of the bad guy. If you don't realize it on your first playthrough, you're sort of mercilessly killing all these monsters. They begin to fear you. And you sort of had to come to grips with that at the very end as like someone that inherent, like just chose violence as a default. And the first time I fought Undyne, you know, uh, I just felt like, oh, sick boss fight. I'm destroying her. Hell yeah. Like we won. That was cool. And then when you fight it the second time, you realize that like as Undyne gets lower in health, her attacks begin to slow down and she begins to look like really desperate and weak. And I don't know if she explicitly begs, but like she's dying. She's like, clearly done. Yeah, she's clearly done. But she's like, I can defeat you. I will do it. I like I it's like, crazy because so, if you choose the violence in that, like the violent violence route, um, the genocide, route. the genocide route. If you like really reverse the situations and like step outside of your main character's thing and like look at what undyne's trying to do she's totally the hero in this situation yeah she is that's yeah. the sad part yeah, she's like cause... the hero defending her home trying to save her monster brother and base basically yeah yeah exactly and you're the killer like you're killing all the monsters mm -hmm. so you're like, this foreign invader basically yeah and like you when you first play undertale you don't feel that because def violence is always the default action in video games and that's why that's why undertale is such a great game but this undying fight is so like it's so deep on so many levels because even though this person is like clearly deserves mercy and like is the hero and is like i mean the way they paint undying is like someone that doesn't give up like a classic anime like mm -hmm. you know like main character kind of thing yet you kill her with no mercy, even when her attacks are barely doing any damage and going very, very slow to the point where like, you're just kind of torturing her at a certain yeah. point. And like, when I played it on our most recent playthrough for the podcast, I genuinely like felt so sad for what was going on in this fight. And I was like, wow, I cannot believe a boss fight could make me feel this way. This is like one of the most well-designed like things in a video game ever. Uh, that, that undying fight is just fantastic. Yeah, Undertale as a game, I mean, just for the boss fights, has such a remarkable replayability, to be honest. Yeah, um, absolutely. Love it. Absolutely agree. All righty. So my next one, uh, well, for the, actually, I'll just get into it. Who cares? Uh, so Kingdom Hearts again for me uh, this time. <laughs> I, I hate this one. I don't like I mean, I didn't play the other one, but I... Uh, uh, Ansem, we're going to go with Ansem, Seeker of Darkness from Kingdom Hearts 1. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So story time. Story time. I played Kingdom Hearts 1 around the time, uh, probably a couple years after it came out, when I was probably like seven or eight. Um, and I also played Kingdom Hearts 2 when it came out. I beat Kingdom Hearts 2 before I beat Kingdom Hearts 1. I beat Kingdom Hearts 2 10 times before <laughs> I beat Kingdom Hearts 1. It was not until we finally did this podcast, the podcast on Kingdom Hearts 1, that I finally beat Ansem, Seeker of Darkness. Jesus. 20, what is this, 24 when we record that episode? Oh, wow, we've been doing... That was almost two years ago. That was December of 2020. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. December 2021. About a year and a half ago. Um, right? No, no. Yeah, we yeah. December 2021. Around the, around the time I first moved to LA, 
Kingdom Hearts 2 we did in December of 2021, but we did Kingdom Hearts 1 uh, like when I around the time I moved to LA. So it would have been December or January of, of wow. 2020. Well, anyways, yeah. almost two years ago we did that episode. Crazy to think about. Yeah. And yeah, that was the first time that I uh, beat Kingdom Hearts. Um, as a young lad, seven, eight-year-olds, however old I was, the... Actually, I didn't even get as far as like the final world. I got stuck in Hollow Bastion. But even just <laughs> revisiting Kingdom Hearts like over the years, whenever I tried to revisit it, I always got to the final bit, the final boss battle with Ansem. And every time I got there, I just was like, this is awful. I can't do it. I'm underleveled. It's going to take way too long to go back and level up. Fuck it. Fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. And for context, the Ansem Seeker of Darkness battle, it's like a seven-stage boss fight where... I think if you die, if I remember correctly, at any point if you die, you restart the whole boss fight in any of the stages. And <laughs> for a game that is targeted, and we talk about this a lot in the podcast episode, you should go listen if you haven't already. For a game that is targeted at like probably, you know, realistically the target age is probably 9 to like 13, 14. I'd, I'd say something like that. Like I think anyone could find something in that age range. It is a ridiculously hard boss fight. And it's so outrageous. And <laughs> it's way too hard. It's dude. way too hard for that cut for what it is. Um, yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. I feel like every Kingdom Hearts game I play, barring as they're released, barring Kingdom Hearts 3DS gets a little bit easier. Kingdom Hearts 3DS was stupidly hard. Um, but like two was easier. Three was a very easy game, actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just such a ridiculously hard final boss seven stages and i'll never forget when i finally beat him you know 17 years in the making it was just like so much triumphant just like i think i like yell like ah you Dude, know it's just it's ugh. so it's so dumb. by the way i'm watching the video that you linked as well this is like probably the, the video with the most views like the official boss fight video right mm -hmm. it's 47 minutes long it's yeah. a 47 minute long boss fight and this is and something like, that's like going to be good at the game right yeah yeah and like, it's not like, you know, some boss fights are long, but like usually like turn-based boss fights are long. Like I mentioned the Kefka fights, like 25, 30 minutes, but you're not pushing buttons on your controller the entire time. It's yeah. like a JRPG, like a normal traditional JRPG. And, and especially too, you got to note is if you were playing this on vanilla Kingdom Hearts 2 and it came out for the, or excuse me, vanilla Kingdom Hearts when it came out for the PS1, you couldn't skip cutscenes back then. So every yeah. time you died, you had to rewatch every cutscene. Um, yeah. He does have some great cutscenes, though, some great quotes, you know, to the heart seeking freedom. This island is a prison surrounded by water. Just Man. so badass. Just was like my nemesis for 17 years. And yeah, loved it. No, I hated it. That's a lie. I hated it. But it's like the, uh, the top comments on this video are hilarious. This one uh, just says, I remember getting so stressed out on this boss fight, feeling like it was never going to end. <laughs> it's ridiculous it is such a yeah, long boss fight it is dude it's it's way too it, it is you know we talked i talked about how the kefka fight is uh tuned very well this fight is just not tuned very well just flat out uh yeah um uh, we talk about how like difficulty in video games is, like a big thing um this is like hitting the point where it's not necessarily difficulty in like an Elden Ring or a Dark Souls kind of way it is just pure frustrating. So yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's like just totally crosses over that line. Uh, <laughs> like 100%. I mean, like I'm just looking at I, I, anyone look watching, like look it up. And it's just it's hard to watch, honestly. But 
um, yeah, great, great second pick. I'm glad you finally, uh, you know, beat your nemesis after all those years. I think that's a big uh, coming home moment for sure. Yeah, really, yeah. really some character development. Yeah, nice. All right, uh, I'll jump to my number three here. Uh, this is just a super instant classic, absolute banger of a boss fight. Uh, one of my favorite in recent memory. We're gonna go with Margit the Fell Omen from Elden Ring. Um, just like I said, absolute classic, uh, instant classic boss fight. Uh, you know, he opens up with the lines, foul tarnished in search of the Elden Ring, emboldened by the flame of ambition. Someone must extinguish thy flame. Let it be Margaret the Fell. And then when he kills you, which he killed me, maybe a handful, you know, a couple dozen times before I finally beat him, put these foolish, foolish ambitions, ambitions to rest. rest. It's such a great setup to an absolutely 10 out of 10 game that I loved so much that like Margaret is sort of the gateway drug to the rest of the game. He, like, he has so one great. of the most metal, like mid boss fight cutscenes too. When you get him yeah. to like, I think just uh, you know, around half health, he has a cutscene where he, he he's he's Margit the Grafter, right? Or no, no, you're thinking of Godric the Grafted. I'm talking about the very first boss. Oh, I'm talking about Margit. Yeah, yeah, but that is a metal. That is that absolutely metal. Margit's metal. great yeah. too, though, because it is yeah. just like the put these foolish ambitions. Ambi he, oh, I'm he so is the first test. I got him mixed up. He is no, you're good. You're good. He's the test. He's like your he's first. The test. Yeah. He's your first. He's the boss first real fight, boss. Yeah. He's the first like yeah. main storyline boss. Yeah, exactly. And this was my first from software game. Um, I started playing Demon Souls recently. Um, we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm kind of put. I'm putting my foolish ambitions to rest on that game pretty quickly. <laughs> but I'm I'm trying to push through as much as I can. Um, I'm playing the remaster for those of you wondering on PS5, and it's really cool. Uh, but I feel like Margit is a lot of people's very first introduction to a FromSoft game just because it's probably of a lot Elden of people's Rings. last. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's, that's game. sort of the duality of Margit is like, he, he's, he is like that very first test. I think a lot of people are probably going to stop playing Elden Ring once they get to Margit. Um, but if you do beat him and you try, you know, 30 times and you're stuck on him and you finally beat him, you will be hooked. Like it is the, it is the point in the game where you're, I think. I know it's very early, but you're go like, oh, I can do it. Like mm -hmm. he he talked shit on me for you know three hours, telling me to put my foolish ambitions to rest. Well, I didn't, Margaret the Fell Omen, and for that, you know, I will I will play through this game. You know, uh, God, yeah, so I, I loved him for that reason. Elden Ring. I mean, I'm sure the other Souls like games like are like this as well. But I mean, Elden Ring is just so like that's such a addicting feeling. Those boss fights. I remember when I was playing through it. And I got to that point. I got to a little bit after you because I started playing after. And I remember I, I, I reached Margaret, I think at like 11 p.m. at night or something. I was tired. I was ready to go to bed. I had work the next day. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just play him. I'll play him once just to like, you know, see what's cracking. Played him once. I'm like, oh, fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I know it's like 1230 at night and I still haven't been. I'm like, oh, my God, this is just I need to. I need to calm down. And then, <laughs> uh, and then your yeah. heart is just racing every time you fight. So good. Yeah. So good. I still remember when I beat him. I still remember like the moment that I beat him and like the moment, the rush and the excitement of finally doing it, you know? And like the thing that I, I love about Margit as a boss and pretty much all the Elden Ring and From Software bosses is like they're fucking crazy demon like lords, you know? They're not like you're supposed to be getting destroyed by these guys. Like they're, they're basically demigods. You're just you know tarnished. I mean? Like, 
you're just a guy. Yeah, you're just tarnished. Exactly. And like, Maidenless. I I do love like Margaret really does embody like he's very big. He looks like a demigod kind of demon guy. Um, he's got a big stick, but he also wields like a magic hammer. He just has everything in his power to really destroy you. And he does. And that's that's the FromSoft vibe. You know, it's not like you're playing some. He's not hard like like Bowser's hard or something in like a Mario game like that or like some some random mini boss in some random SNES game that like pisses you off. These yeah. are these are these are like within the story should be strong enough to always destroy you, which is what makes FromSoft and Margit just just awesome bosses. So, yeah, had to pick one from from uh, Elden Ring and we had to go with Margit. Love it. All right, moving into my number three, we are going to go with um, Monica from great Doki, pick. Doki Literature Club. Now, I think you could argue there's some debate about whether or not this is a true boss fight given that this is a visual novel game however for all intents and purposes monica is the final obstacle you overcome in this game it is something that you do have to actively fight against it's not something that you can just click your way through and pick dialogue even though it is a visual novel um so all that said for those that haven't played doki doki literature club um honestly i mean there's not really the only way to enjoy this game is like kind of going into it blind so i'm going to say just like yeah. skip the next five you know four or five minutes of the podcast uh, play the game go listen to our podcast episode on it we did that back in october 2020 i want to say god fuck we are getting old uh, october 2020 <laughs> was already like oh two years ago yeah um really really i think it was uh, it's up there with me for some of our best episodes um right up there with spec ops the line um, and it's just a really, really, really good episode. And this is a really incredible game. And I highly recommend if anyone hasn't checked it out, you do so. So massive spoilers ahead for Doki Doki Literature Club. But for those that have played, as we all know, Doki Doki Literature Club's main protagonist is Monica, who has essentially become sentient and is aware that she is in a video game and is aware that you, the player, are the one playing the game. And throughout the game, she is fiddling with the game files. She is fiddling with the other characters, uh, character files, basically causing, you know, trigger warnings, a lot of just really mental anguish for all these poor characters, whether that is, you know, um, self mutilation with, in the case of Yuri and mutilation among others, whether that is depression and suicide in the case with not, no, it's not, not Sayori. Sayori. Uh, whether it is like blatant anorexia or not anorexia, blatant just eating disorders mm -hmm. uh, with Natsuki and clear like home abuse. And then um, actually that covers them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that's all. That's all. Yeah, them, that's yeah. all. Th that's a three barring Monica. Um, they're just bringing out like the worst possible traits and basically putting all these girls through hell. Also, she can just get closer to you and trap her trap your character basically with her within this game. And it reaches a point where you end up in kind of like a, a space in the game that's outside of the reality established in the game. You're almost like in a space type of situation where you're just so in a classroom kind of floating around and like whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the only way to get out of this situation is to literally go into the game files and to literally delete Monica's game save or her character file rather. 
And I'd like to read through some of the monologue or some of the dialogue, excuse me, of what happens when um, when you do this. And the game does this really where really well, where to kind of give you the hint of what you need to do. It actually starts with Natsuki or with Monica explaining how she got rid and you know deleted and messed with Natsuki and Yuri. So, quote. And he wouldn't believe how easy it was to delete Natsuki and Yuri. I mean, there's a folder called characters right in the game directory. To get to the game directory, then it's just like very on the nose, particularly like if you got it through Steam. To get to the game's directory, I had to go to the game's properties and find the browse local file button. Imagine if you could delete your own existence with a click of a button. And then she just gets really weird. She's just like, huh, are you ready to spend our eternity together? And then once you delete Monica and you go back into the game, it's kind of terrifying actually she starts mm-hmm. talking to you um she says what's happening what's happening to me it hurts it hurts so much please help me please hurry and help me help me did you do this to me did you did you delete me how could you how could you do this to me you were all i had left i sacrificed everything for us to be together everything and i loved you so much i trusted you did you just want to torture me watch me suffer were you only pretending to be kind and just hurt me even more? I never thought anyone could be as horrible as you are. You win, okay? You win. You killed everyone. I hope you're happy now. There's nothing left. You need to stop playing. Go find some other people to torture. You make me completely, truly sick. Goodbye. Oof. That's pretty much how the game ends. Jesus. Yeah. Depending on the game what ends. ending you get. There's a couple of different endings, but there was never a moment before where... You know, and that I personally had an experience like that in a game where it breaks the fourth wall so much and does it so well, uh, barring Stanley Parable. But I think that's a very different kind of fourth wall breaking, mm-hmm. where this is like the game's really almost more of a commentary, whereas this is more of a I'm talking to you gamer, right? So so well done. The game is incredible. Stay still think about it often. Just such a wild game. Um, highly recommend you check it out. Yeah. Fair warning, There's, if you are going to check it out, it does have a lot of themes of kind of what I was saying earlier, depression, suicide, suicide um, self-mutilation, abuse. all these things, abuse. Yeah, 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 definitely a tough game to play. We did spoil a lot of it, so maybe it softens the landing, but I still think it's kind of worth playing for anybody that's like into, I mean, it's if you had to categorize, as, categorize it as anything, it's sort of a psychological horror game disguised as a visual novel. Mm-hmm. So if you're a fan of either of those things, um, you'll probably be a fan of this game. Uh, there's nothing else like it. There's literally nothing else like it. So uh, check it out, especially around Halloween coming up here in a month and a half-ish. Yes. yes. Pretty crazy. Um, all right. Uh, so down to my number four. Uh, we're going to go with, uh, and Matt, I'd love for you to just, I don't know if you watched the video that I sent you earlier, but uh, if you just pull it open and, and take a look at what's going on there. Uh, we're going to go with the final secret boss, the true final boss of one of my favorite video games of all time, Hollow Knight. Uh, The final boss is called The Radiance. Uh, So Hollow Knight is is really, really, really great. Um, For those of you that never played, it's it's a Metroidvania style game where uh, you play as a little knight who kind of explores a giant underground kingdom called Hollow Nest. uh, And Uh, As you continue down this kingdom, which is all entirely underground um, and very bug themed, which is cool, 
uh, you're sort of like a, there's like beetles that you meet in the game and flies and like a lot of the bosses are kind of based off of like bugs and things like that. Uh, you venture down through Hollow Knight or Hollow Nest only to find that the whole kingdom was overrun with an infection at some point and there was a massive supernatural disease that drove everyone into madness and the in entire kingdom of Hollow Nest was completely destroyed. So very, this game has really been called the Dark Souls of Metroidvanias. It's extremely challenging. It's very hard, very exploration driven, really dark themes. And a lot of the story is really implied. So like a lot of what you learn about this world is through like context clues. It's never directly explained. There's long stretches of zero dialogue where the story is being elaborated on with no text at all. So it kind of has that Dark Souls vibe and that Elden Ring vibe where you're not quite sure if you got the whole story, but uh, like filling in the gaps is a really fun part. And the Radiance is a boss that, uh, you know, kind of is implied throughout the course of the game. And this is spoiler territory here. Um, the Radiance is a moth-like sort of emissary of light. So most of the game, the game, like the, the cool thing about Hollow Knight is darkness is sort of the main like force, like you are on the force of darkness and this radiance, this thing that like basically caused the entire kingdom to go mad with, with its infection of like everybody's brains was like a primordial moth-like being that controlled the minds of everybody. And a king at one point had to like store it away into the spirit realm where it eventually got into the dreams of everybody via the spirit realm and caused the collapse of the entire kingdom. And you, um, there's two endings. You can do the regular ending where you just kind of play through. And then there's the secret ending where you actually fight the radiance and destroy it. And it's a really fucking hard boss battle. And um, it's I'm on that right now. It just looks yeah. quite bonkers. Yeah, it's bullet hell. It's like everything's everywhere. You have to dash through things. It's giving me um, a lot of uh, Cuphead vibes. Yeah, it's very Cuphead-like. It's 2D, you know. Um, kind of crazy we don't have any Cuphead on this list, but... Yeah, I really wanted to do Cuphead. I wanted to do some Cuphead, but I don't know. I, I feel like uh, it, it's boss fights are hard to pick from, to be honest. Yeah. And Cuphead probably definitely gets some honorable mentions. But um, yeah, I this boss fight right here is just super epic, especially I played this game uh, during like a time in my life where I feel like I needed like really big distractions. Uh, and this was like a 35 plus hour, super challenging you know, game that I needed and finally beating the radiance was like a, a huge deal for sure for me. Um, so yeah, uh, absolutely love this one. I highly, highly recommend everybody check out hollow Knight. Um, uh, if you're into Metroidvanias, if you like dark souls, uh, you, you will absolutely love this game. And, uh, it's just got, it's just got an amazing world. Uh, it's got a sequel coming out pretty soon called, uh, silk song. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which you play as a different, you play as a different character who's actually a character in hollow Knight. And it's supposed to be coming out within uh, within the year. Um, take their time. Take please, Team Cherry. Take your time. Make that game perfect. <laughs> it's going to be great. Love it. All righty. So moving into our final one today, my final pick. Um, <laughs> I love this one. I I'm like this, watching the video right now. This is going to be one that a lot of people are probably just going to be like, "What? What's my talking about?" But. Uh, my final one is there is an Android 19 boss battle in Dragon Ball Z Budokai. Not Budokai Tenkaichi. Dragon Ball Z Budokai. The original that came out on the PlayStation 2 and GameCube in 2002. 
Now, some context. I think at the time this game came out, I would have been about five or six. And then I probably got the game around in 2003, I think, then actually to play it for the first time. Anyways, point is, I was very young. No more, no older than seven, I don't think. And at that point in my life, you know, I mean, everyone loves Dragon Ball Z at that age. Everyone, at least in my era, right? Like that was the show you watched every night on Saturday yep. at Toonami. Uh, every Friday night, whatever it was, you watched, you sat down and you watched Dragon Ball Z. That was the anime that everyone was watching. And of course, you, like Yu Yu Hakusho and all that good stuff. And eventually, a few years later, you know, Naruto came to more. Bleach. Um, Bleach. But, but Dragon Ball Z was the the show because bleach and stuff was on like more adult swim i think whereas um oh you're right you're right dragon ball z was more more mainstream and that were not more mainstream but more it was on toonami now pitched as being more kid friendly than a show like bleach yeah and so this boss fight so those aren't familiar with dragon ball z or android 19 um in this boss fight goku is or in, in the show goku is fighting android 19 created by the red ribbons army dr jiro and as the fight starts goku actually has a heart disease that starts damaging him and basically causes him to lose the fight because he's literally fighting a, a powerful android with a failing heart and the machine has to come save him and and this boss fight in the game the way they choose to replicate a heart disease in the game and to kind of put that kind of stress on you is they add a condition in the game where as you're fighting the your health bar is slowly not even really slowly like draining at a fairly decent rate actually Mm -hmm. and then that combined with you know, being, you know, maybe six, seven or eight, something like that. Like not really understanding games that well yet. Like I was just shook. And I remember, <laughs> I remember I was going to school, you know, talking to my friends about the game because they all, they were all playing it too. And everyone's like, everyone was stuck on that. Everyone's like, bro, I don't know what to, no, I don't think we were just even saying bro back then, but everyone's like, dude, I don't know what to do. Like it's too hard. I can't figure it out. And I'll never forget my friend, Brian Jen just pulled me aside I say, you want to know how I beat it? I'm like, yeah, of course I want to know how I beat it. He says, I switched it to easy mode. (laughs) 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 So I think that night I went home. I think I tried it one more time on the normal mode. It wasn't even hard, the normal mode. I was like, fuck it. Switched the game to easy mode. Finally beat it. And this was the first time I think I ever switched a game to an easy mode to make it easier. And it wouldn't be the last when you last, <laughs> I tell you, and this, yeah. it's just such an iconic memory for me in my gaming career, um, and just yeah, so so many memories from it. And I, I love to. I was looking at the comments of the of this fight, <laughs> and the, like one of, one of the comments on there is just, "I swear they made this fight seem so much easier than it actually was." Yeah, this and, video he just destroys Android nineteen very easily. Yeah, but. Wasn't that easy for an eight-year-old? Yeah, wasn't that yeah. easy for an eight-year-old or seven-year-old? How old I was? Um, yeah, and just absolutely iconic for me in my gaming career. I, you know, I played a lot of Budokai, like the first Budokai on uh, on GameCube, quite a bit, and I like have a vague memory of this fight as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
Jesus, that health bar is going down real fast from Goku, dude. I mean, if it you does. Don't, and then it goes, I mean, yeah. this guy isn't really getting hit, but if you get hit even a few times, like literally half your health bar is more it's than gone. half your health bar yeah. is gone from one combo. It's insane. Did, did Goku had heart disease in the show? Right. Like that was a real thing. Like that was in the canon. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole thing is Trunks comes from the future when Frieza arrives mm -hmm. um, to get revenge for Namek arrives on planet Earth. Trunks is there to save the day before Goku gets back. And then it, he gives Goku the heart medicine that he needs to take to basically like survive this heart disease. Because in Trunks timeline, um, Goku he dies from the heart, from the heart and disease. the androids totally take over. Um, other androids actually, but androids nonetheless. And so he does take the heart medicine in this, but I guess it just like takes a while to kick in in the show. Um, and yeah, it just it, pretty intense. Everyone's very afraid of our friend Goku, you know, back in the day, but it all worked <laughs> out. All right. Um, wow. Great picks. Pretty unique Trade ones here friend, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Good stuff here. I think uh, I think we had some good boss fight choices here. I like the diversity for sure. Um, for anybody out there, I think we'd really love to hear your favorite boss fights uh, when this episode airs. So for sure, uh, anybody out there in our discord, uh, feel free to hit us up with anything that you think would be was a really great boss fight for you. Maybe it's very recent. Maybe it's very old. We'd love to hear from you. Um, that's in the discord. Matt, I think there's a place where people could shoot us an electronic mail message. Uh, how could they do that? Yes. All right, everyone. Um, you can find, you can, well, first off, you can choose email at playingpod at gmail.com. Best place to read, one of the best places to reach us. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at TFP Podcasts. That's TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. And then as well, you can also um, join our Discord, which you can find in the link tree on any of the social media handles I just mentioned. And the Discord is really going to be the best place to reach both myself and Lucas. We're both pretty active in there on the daily. It's a good place to hang out, talk games, talk news, whatever you want. Uh, you can also go to our website, thanksforplaying.live, and find us there. And if you haven't already, you know, go ahead and, you know, tell a friend about the podcast. Let them know what's up. Tell them the, the great, the, the good stuff. Tell them what's cracking with the podcast. Um, we'd love to get more wonderful people like yourselves into our nice little community we got going. And then if you want to follow your good buddy, Matt, you can come watch me tweet about us soccer and anime and video games at good idea, Matthew. That's right. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at good idea, Lucas. And you, of course you could hit me up on the discord. Like we already mentioned, um, really fun news here. Uh, the voting did close on our game for September and it is, Bastion. So very excited to play another super giant game. Uh, same developers as Hades, as Transistor, as Pyre, uh, the legendary super giant games. We're going to be playing their, I believe their first game, uh, yes. uh, Bastion. So uh, already started on that one, uh, liking it so far. And uh, we'll be keeping you updated. And of course, look out for that September episode of Bastion. Yes. And worth acknowledging as well, it actually did tie with Corey. Um, the Cory, which was a story-driven horror game, the kind of spiritual successor to Until Dawn. I'm actually kind of surprised that it tied because I had been pushing know, <laughs> for the Cory. I think on like <laughs> I've had the Cory on literally every voting thing we've done so far, and it's never gotten more than than one vote. Then a couple, yeah. Um, no, I got two votes at one point. Uh, two votes, yeah, yeah. 
and then it somehow managed to tie tie it this time so that's cool so we'll be doing the quarry in october um as like a special extra episode because uh, lucas and i the last time when we played until dawn together for the podcast we actually played it like literally together um it was a super fun time uh really kind of fun just to play those games drink with your friends and just kind of choose what happens to the characters together so we'll be yeah. doing that again for the podcast come around october time doing a double horror game episode we'll have a proper spooky game voting um sometime later on uh as we get closer to october so we'd look out for that and yeah, it'll be a fun fun double game double double game month for um yeah it's gonna be good stuff for sure cool got anything else i think that's all all right everyone this has been Thanks for playing. Catch you next time. Scooby Bop. Thanks for playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna, and our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Real Call Bunch and Red Circle 